Good morning, Rethink Church. How are we doing this wonderful, I'm just going to pretend it's wonderful. It's kind of dreary out there, but it's a wonderful day all the same. It's an exciting day too. Today is baby dedications. That is so exciting. All these kids just being given to God. So we're going to celebrate that. We're going to worship this morning. So I invite you to stand on your feet and we're going to sing a few songs together, okay? All right. Whoever believes in him 
I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. You know, a long time ago, I would have never imagined myself leading people into worship, reading my Bible, connecting with God. But it was in a, a place where I really needed him, and he showed up, and he had mercy on me. He reminded me how much he loves me, how much he cares for me. And not just me, you all, you too. God's mercy is so good. I think this next song is a great testament of the mercy of God, how we're all living proof of that mercy, of that kindness, of that love that he has for us. Anybody thankful for God's mercy this morning? the power of the blood. 
the power of the blood was the cross before me that my Savior carried. Now I've been made free by the mercy of God. And was the grave before me where my sin lay buried. Now I stand redeemed by the mercy of God. And was the grave before me that my Savior carried. Oh, I've been made free by the mercy of God. And was the grave meant for me where my sin lay buried. Oh, I stand redeemed by the mercy of God. Now I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome by His burdenness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. It was His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. Yes, His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. Church, can you just lift your hands this morning? Lift your hands as a sign of surrender. Lord, we're so thankful for your blood. We're so thankful that you loved us anyway. Anyone thankful for the blood of Jesus? I encourage you to sing this with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of that again.
We're so thankful for you, God. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we dedicate our children to you, our lives to you, our plans to you, Lord. We lay all before your feet, God, and ask you to have your way. Lord, help us be in step with your Holy Spirit at all times. Help us lay down all pride, all angst, all fear. Help us reconcile our doubts, God. But most of all, help us run towards you and not from you. Lord, we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we're so thankful that you provided that source of redemption through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Lord, as we get ready to dedicate these children today, let a well of joy just fill our hearts, God. Let it be a celebration today, Lord, because it's for you, it's for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, church. Good morning, Rethink Church. How are you today? Yeah. I feel like everybody's quiet today. Can I get a good, good morning? One. There we go. There we go. We're a little more interactive here. So this morning, we get the beautiful opportunity to have families stand before us and commit to raising their kids in a home that's fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. We call it child dedication or family dedication. And so this morning, what we're, what we're going to witness and then participate in is that families are going to come up one by one, present their child to us. We can ooh and ah because kids are cute, right? Right? Yeah. It's not appropriate for me to look at it like... Roland and be like, Roland, you're so cute. <laughs> right? The kids, we could do that, right? <laughs> um, so this morning, we're going to welcome some families up. We've asked all of our families to do three things in order to participate in child dedication. The first thing that they do is they pick a prayer partner or prayer partners in order to pray them through the journey. How many of you know that on your hardest day, you really want somebody praying for you, right? I do. Double hands. So um, we asked them to identify a couple or someone in their lives who would be willing to pray alongside of them as they commit to raising their kids in a home fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. The second thing that they do is they write a letter to their child at the age of 18 because we know that we can get easily caught up in the everyday of life, right? But what we want is for us, to, for our families to look at who they want their kids to be when they're 18 and backtrack and go, okay, this is who we want you to be. These are the things we're going to put in place in order for you to naturally choose that course and that path for your life. And then the other thing that they do is they pick a verse. The Bible is huge. And so picking one verse for your child to pray over them um, is significant. And so we ask them to pick a verse to be praying over their child. Um, obviously, they're going to have other scriptures for seasons of life. But for this point, at this stage of development, we're asking them to pick a verse for their child. Good morning. I'm, I'm the cute one. I was like, should I say that? <laughs> should I say that? <laughs> I'm going to read from Psalm 70. Uh, 
But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly say and shout, God is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my savior. O Lord, do not delay. And I want you guys to know this morning, God loves you. Uh, he's, he's pursuing you. We all have different situations. We're all going through different things. But I want you to know this morning, God loves you and he's pursuing you. Uh, don't believe the lies that he's not. He's pursuing you right now. Don't leave this morning without knowing you're loved and pursued. Uh, if you're new this morning, we would love to get to know you. We would love to get to know your name. We have a guest services area out there. We have a gift for you. And we'd just love to uh, know why you chose to come to Rethink this morning and uh, why you're going to come back. So uh, I got a question for you. Anybody in here have the spiritual gift of giving? <laughs> My wife does. That's uh, one thing I love about her. She is a giving person. She loves to help others. I do not have the spiritual gift of giving. That's something you have to work at, right? Uh, as Christians, it's kind of what makes all this work, being selfless and putting others before yourself and giving, right? Um, one thing that has helped me is paying it forward. There's been so many Christians that have poured into my life, so many churches uh, through my experiences where they've taken care of me and my family um, and just been selfless. And so much that God has done for me, right? He's done for all of us. Jesus has done so much. And if we just held all that and just took it and took it and took it and we never gave back, it would be crazy. So one thing that has changed my mentality on that is paying it forward, knowing that whenever I get blessed, I have a responsibility to bless God and his kingdom and whatever he puts before me to bless. So here at Rethink, you guys are givers, man. We, we appreciate your hearts and your selflessness towards giving. And there's a couple ways to give. Um, you can go to rethink.cc and give. Uh, click the Give tab and give that way. Or there's a black box in the back, and you can write checks or cash in there. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for your giving hearts. Thank you for setting an example for me of someone who is trying to be a better giver. Um, so Mark's going to bring the message this morning. <laughs> but don't, don't lose sight that God loves you. He's pursuing you right now. If God is speaking a word through Mark to you this morning, don't leave without responding to it, okay? Amen. Giving, not getting. Jesus went on. Does anyone bring a lamp home and put it under a wash tub or beneath the bed? Don't you put it up on a table or on the mantle? We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing them out into the open. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Listen carefully to what I am saying and be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Never without a story. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps harvest time. How can we picture God's kingdom? What kind of story can we use? It's like a pine nut. When it lands on the ground, it is quite small as seeds go. Yet once it is planted, it grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches, eagles nest in it. With many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and maturity. He was never without a story when he spoke. 
When he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything, sorting out the tangles, untying the knots. The wind ran out of breath. Late that day, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. They took him in the boat as he was. Other boats came along. A huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. They roused him, saying, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down and said to the sea, Quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway, they asked. Wind and sea at his beck and call? Right. So that was Mark chapter 1, or sorry, Mark chapter 4, 21 through 41. And we just covered 21 verses. And we'll see how far we get into this sermon. So we're going to cover the rest of chapter chapter 4 this week. Uh, and if you're with us for a while, you're like, whoa, that's a lot. So, um, but before we get into the sermon part of this, I just want to kind of pause for a moment because we're about to start school up. And what we're going to do this year is we're going to partner parents, or sorry, adults with students to say, let's pray for our kids throughout the school year. So if you would like to join us, there's going to be a QR code behind me. Uh, it just says prayer partners. You can sign it in, uh, scan it in and fill out the form and stuff like that. And here's what you're going to commit to. You're going to sign up to pray for them. You're actually going to pray for them. That's a good thing. If you're going to sign up to do it, you should actually do it, right? So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then you're going to contact them. So if they're like, obviously, if there's a minor, you need to work through the parents and stuff like that. But sometimes they're at church here. So you need to connect with them, ask them how they're doing, write them a note, all that kind of stuff. Just let them know, hey, I'm praying for you, all those kind of things. And the point of this is this. Instead of sitting back complaining about these next generation, these kids don't know what they're doing. How about we pray through these situations? Because here's the deal. They're facing things you've never faced before at speeds you've never faced before. So we can either complain about it or we can pray with them. And then when they start, when you start asking, hey, how can I pray for you? They're going to come up with things that you're like, well, I have an answer for you. No, you don't. You're not, the, you're not the answer people. We're not praying that you would show up in their life. We're praying that God would show up in their life. So you're going to commit to praying. And that's it, right? And so the connection point, that's what we're really looking for. So if you want to join in on that, there's a QR code behind me. It should say prayer partner or something like that. You can scan that, fill it in, or get, stop into guest services. But that's what we want to do. So we're going to jump in. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus starts off with the lampstand. And uh, what he says here is that you don't take a lampstand and just put a cover over it, do you? What's the point of a lamp? Shine light, right? In Jesus' day, the lanterns were not these massive, big, bright things. They were actually these handheld little things that you would walk around with. And it would hold like just a little bit of light. So you could see two to three steps ahead of you. And that's it. So you're not looking for these massive like feats of kind of lights. You're looking for a next couple of steps. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Israel is full of mountains. And Indiana's pretty flat. So you can kind of guess in Indiana, here's a road. It's going to be nice and flat. In Israel, however, it's unpredictable. So what does the light do, though? It pushes out the darkness, doesn't it? It may be a small steps, maybe a few things around you, but it's one of those things that you're just going to take the next right step after the next right step after the next right step. And as you do that, you're like pushing out the darkness in that sense. And what does Jesus say here? That we're actually not hiding any secrets. 
the way of Jesus actually exposes our secrets. If you truly, truly follow Jesus in his way, that means your secrets can't somehow get exposed. We talk about this reality of hell on earth. Hell on earth is secretive. The, the lies of hell would say, hey, that thing you just did, that's all on your own. You're by yourself. The ways of Jesus, though, exposes not just our actions, but our thoughts and our motives. That's the way of Jesus. And then think about this. If I'm out, by, like out in the field by myself and I have a small little lantern, how easy would it be in the darkness, how easy would it be to see somebody else with another lamp? Pretty easy, right? And then what happens if I walk towards that person? Now we have a little bit more bright light. And this is what happens. This is what Jesus is saying here. Like, you're not hiding these things. Like, the way of Jesus is actually going to expose secret ways and all this. And, and we're not trying to discover these ancient ways. Like, how many of you guys have ever been part of a faith and been like, I unlocked this key in the Bible and all this other stuff? Be skeptical. I'm not saying they're all heretics. But if they, especially if they ask for your money, then they're heretics. But, like, if they, like, sign this check and all this. Like, yeah, no, whatever. Don't do that. Uh, anyway, so there's that one. But what we have to follow through is this reality that um, what Jesus is actually wanting us to do is find his way that has already been out there. And what does he ask the disciples to do? Does he ask the disciples to unlock this ancient way or just to proclaim the good news? Proclaim the good news. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is not a debate. It's a proclamation in all of this. Now, this next part that he goes into is giving is better than getting. So, when I worked for Toyota and I would hire people, I would get tons and tons of resumes for positions. Now, I gave each resume about 10 seconds. If they didn't catch my attention in 10 seconds, I didn't really care what the person said. The average, according to business journals and stuff like that, is actually less than eight seconds. So when I teach my students how to actually go and write a resume, my whole point of this is, hey, catch their attention, but as the person, the manager, the supervisor, whatever, as they're scanning, and they're not reading your resumes, they're scanning your resumes for keywords. What they're really looking for, for me at least, was, is this person a contributor or a consumer? Is this person going to give in to something bigger than themselves or just be a leech? So, let's be a people that is consumers. So, on your chairs, when you came in today, there's these nice little acts of kindness cards. Different colors because it felt like a variety of way of life. So, um, so here's, here's what it says. Something extra to show that Jesus loves you. And on the back, and so do we with RethinkChurch.cc. So here's the challenge this week. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Go out and be generous. Give somebody an extra large tip. Give them something, some kind of acts of kindness. God will tell you what to do. It doesn't have to be complicated. Don't overthink it. Don't talk yourself out of it. See it. See the need. Feel the need. Pay it forward like Roland was talking about. But giving is way better than, than getting. And what would happen if we actually blessed our community and just left this card with them with an actual big tip? Not just like, hey, I gave you a dollar extra. Like 50% type thing. So here's what, really what we're looking for is, and in the way of Jesus. is, is all about like it's not about us. When we follow Jesus, we put ourselves to the side and we say, Jesus, it's your kingdom. How do we advance your kingdom? And, and Jesus talks about this, that the way, of, the way of Jesus advances, or the kingdom of Jesus advances, not with these big, grand, massive movements, but these small little acts of kindness, like a mustard seed, like a bee pollinating a flower and stuff like that. Like all these small little things 
somehow advance the kingdom of God. And here's why. Because it's not in our effort. It's a partnership. Remember, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. And we want to stay in step with the Spirit and say, how do I actually walk this through? How do I actually do this? These small little things are how it works. And so, and then this next parable where he talks about the farmer going out and spreading the seed, but he has no clue how it actually worked. He just goes to bed and he wakes up one day and he's like, well, I have a crop full of harvest. I can go out and do something. You can't explain it. Ever been there in your life? Where you're like, I have no clue what just happened, right? So one, uh, one time we were out doing something, I forget what we were doing, and we came back, for, uh, we were out on a beach and we came back in all of our stuff and there's extra money in, in Heather's bag. No clue how it happened, but we're like, hashtag blessed life, you know what I mean? Like, we're like, yes. I'm not going to ask any more questions than I need to. I just said, hey, it's a gift from God. Somehow it got into this bag, so we're just going to take it. Sometimes that happens. Other times it's just simple, like you just wake up one day and you're like, I should have been on this path, and I should have been dead. I should have been in jail. I should have been, like, somehow, but God somehow intervened and showed up in ways that I'm like, I'm not just surviving, but actually somehow I'm thriving in these worlds. Like, that's what God wants to do in our life. Now, here's the deal. It's not you just sit back and go on autopilot. You take the next right step after the next right step after the next right step. And that's when you look up and you're like, okay, I don't understand everything. Remember, we talked about this last week. The most important step you'll ever take is whatever your next right step is. Don't worry about the 20th step. Don't worry about the fifth step. Don't worry about the third step. Worry about the next one. That's all Jesus is asking you to be obedient to. And then he, he always talked in a parable. For whatever reason, Jesus didn't invent parables, but he, he perfected the parable. And it was one of those things that he just kept using. And one of the reasons he would do this is he always used imagery that would be connected to their life. He didn't talk about computer science because there wasn't computer science around at that point. There's agriculture, and there was farming, and there's presses and wine presses and all this. And so that's the way that Jesus would talk in. Because he wanted the, the, image, uh, the images to kind of remind the people about the message of the kingdom. And so that's why he kept talking like this. So he talks about wine presses. He talks about leather pouches. He talks about the way of Jesus and is, is like a mustard seed. And that's a weird one. And in the translation that Eugene Peterson, the message that was read to us, he chose to use a pine nut instead of mustard seed. And there's a massive commentary about why he chose to do that. Go find it out. It's awesome. I don't have time to explain this particular time. But what I, what I want to recognize is something that was small grew up into a tree that birds could nest in. Ever feel like God is doing something so small, so seemingly insignificant in your life? That you're like, God, can we just get to the tree part? Can you hurry up? You want to fast track it, but you're like, God's like, just trust me. Let me water it. Let me put some sun and sun down into the soil. Let me, let me just take the time to develop you. And here's what I would encourage you to, to remind you about. that In order for you to actually grow vertically, you have to grow deep. And the, the strength of the trees is not actually found in their own root system. The strength of trees in a forest are actually found in the network of root systems around the other trees around them. Out west of the sequoias, uh, they had these massive giant sequoias and they noticed that one of them started falling, uh, called the old giant, and then, uh, then all of a sudden there was like five or six other trees that fell that had withstood like thousands of years worth of history. But because one fell, it disrupted the whole network of root systems that it caused all these other ones to fall. This is how connected, this is an imagery of how we should be connected as well. 
This is why we don't do this alone. This is why when Rooted comes up, get involved in Rooted. And then if you get through Rooted, get involved in Banded. Because we don't want you to think, oh, I have to do this all by myself. That's not the point of following Jesus. You may feel like you're the only one because you have this certain story, you have your certain last name, you have all this other stuff, but you're not alone in this. And remember, when Jesus says this, that you're, you are safe in situations, not from situations. This is the point of Psalm 23, that in this reality, that while we face certain things, we'll be safe in his hands and all this. And so he kept talking about parables because he wanted us to be reminded all the time of like, oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like this, this farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like this wine press. And so we'd see, he would, they would see these things and all of a sudden be reminded of this. 90% of Jesus' original audience were peasant farmers in the Galilee. They didn't have degrees. They couldn't explain a whole lot, but they knew farming. Probably way better than you and I know farming because we're not really farmers, right? Like, we're not ancient farmers in the way of ancient Israel, especially. So this next parable, he talks about the mustard seeds. Now, the mustard seed is a fascinating uh, plant to me. So remember, they would, they would farm in these four-quadrant uh, plots, and they divided their fields up by rocks, and that became like this nice little fence row for them. But if the farmer recognized that the crop wasn't where it should be by the timeline, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, knee-high by the 4th of July? Anyone know what that means? By corn, right? So this is like the, the, the farmers have these, these little timelines in their head, and if they notice that they're stalled or maybe not where they should be based on the timeline, they can either wait around and hope for the best, or they could do something about it. And the way that most farmers in Jesus' time frame would do something about it would be to plant this invasive plant of mustard seed. Now, when I was in Israel, I jokingly mentioned, I want to steal some mustard seed and try to steal or bring it home. And the guy, who, the guy the, his name was Yehuda, he was like, you do that and you'll be arrested. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing that, right? I just thought it'd be kind of funny. And he was like, don't joke about it. And I was like, oh. He's like, it's literally on the, like, one of the top five lists of America, uh, their customs agencies, that you cannot do that. You cannot take this out of Israel and bring it in here because of how invasive it is. Because... Especially in the ancient world, what they would do is they would put it in the, in the center of the quadrant and they would just let it run wild. And it would bust through the rocks. It would bust through all this other stuff. But what it was really, really doing was adding nutrients to the soil. Because as you over-farm certain soils, it strips all the nutrients back and it sterilizes the soil. So there was this year of Jubilee that they were supposed to be following. But here's the deal. If you're, being, if you're ruled by Rome and you're being taxed 80 to 85% of your, of your crops, are you going to take that year of Jubilee and be like, I'm going to trust you, God? That'd be a really stretching moment, right? So what you're doing is you're over, you're over farming the soil, stripping it. So they found this cheat code of the mustard seed. And so they would plant it in there and it would run wild through the, farm, the crops lands. So when Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, it's like this unseen little act of kindness that invades all these dark places in the life. Do you ever really count it? Do you ever see it? Or you just one day you wake up and you're like, oh, there's a mustard plant right here. And now all of a sudden it grows into this massive tree that people can stand in. So that's the part of this, part of the, this thing that we want to start working through. And then he gets to this other point where he says the other side of the lake. Now remember, he's in, the sea, in the, the, what we now call the Cove of the Sower. It's on the western part of the thing, on the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to the eastern Sea of Galilee. Now, 
what this really means is not just geographically he's going to the other side. Morally, spiritually, and politically, he's going to the far side of the lake. It'd be like going from the Bible Belt to Vegas. A little bit different, a little bit of a stretch, a little bit of all that, and what stays in Vegas, like whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas type concept, the same is true for the other side of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So when he's taking his disciples to this other side of the Sea of Galilee, I'm sure they're freaking out. I'm sure they're like, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here, right? But what is Jesus doing as they, they are on the sea? He's taking a nap. Why is he taking a nap? Probably because he's tired. It's what most humans do, right? You get tired, you take a nap. Now, we have to kind of point this out. The reason he's tired is he's been doing ministry for several days preaching in the Sea of Galilee without a microphone. He's probably a little, like he has a little sore throat. He's been coughing, he's been speaking and all this, but he's tired because he's human. He's 100% man, but he's 100% divine as well. He's not 50-50, he's all of it. The Hebrew author tells us that we have a high priest that, we, that empathizes with us. He's been through life the way that we've been through life. He's our Lord, he's our Savior, yes, but he's also our model. And in this model, here's what I want to point out. When you do work and you get tired, take a nap. Sometimes that may be the most spiritual thing you could do. To be a great employee, take a quick little nap. And then get back to work, right? So on your lunch break, just take a nap. Some of us, we think, no, 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 we have to just keep pressing through. We have to keep pressing through. And Jesus is like, no, 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 take the break, take the nap. It'll be okay. Some of us, we have to remember, actually do the work. Some of us like, we have the spiritual gift of napping, and that's all we do. And God's like, hey, by the way, you still got to produce something. So it's this combination, right? This is what Jesus is doing for us. It's not like burn everything out that you possibly can. It's this idea of just simply taking the break as you need. That's why Sabbath is important. That's why taking the rest and all this have the connection point. And it's, I think he's actually kind of testing them. Now, the Sea of Galilee is this perfect place for storms. To the west is the Mediterranean Sea, which cooler air, and then to the east is this high, high desert, the uh, Arabian Desert, and then all of a sudden the, the, the valley comes in. You have all these hot winds and these cold winds clashing over the Sea of Galilee. And so when I was there, we uh, got to hang out there for like four or five days, and there was storms that were like massively uh, crazy storms. So my roommate, he was an insomniac, and he would take medicine. The first rule that I learned, do not wake him up. That's what he told me. Or it'll be a horrible night. And I was like, great, awesome. I'm not going to do that. So these storms rise up, and it sounds like a bomb is going off. It sounds like there's warfare. Now, we're in Israel, surrounded by enemy countries. So I wake up thinking something's really happening. Here's a couple pictures of some storm damage. Of just a, This is a metal roof that got ripped off. And it, we woke up, and everybody was like, yeah, this is just normal. This is just what happens every time. So we just kind of do this. Now, these next pictures, uh, you'll see this next one is a boat. This one is what Jesus would have probably been in. Um, this is a first century style boat. So you imagine on the Sea of Galilee in this nice little small boat, right? This next picture is what they call the Jesus boat. This is a boat that they've dated all the way back to the first century. This is in a museum that you can go see. They've somehow preserved the wood. They've done all this other stuff. But you can see how small it is. And these high winds and this rough sea, how well are you actually sleeping in a storm like this? 
Anyone else sleep in storms on a boat like this? I think something else is going on here. I think what Jesus is actually doing is he's stretching his disciples. And here's the deal. You need to know this, that God is going to somehow stretch you in ways that you are uncomfortable, right? Parents, you need to know this, that there will be times where your sweet little babies are going to rise up and test you, and it's going to feel like a storm. But I think with everything in me, I believe that God has done something amazing in your story, and he's going to do amazing things through your story if you let him. That out of all the parents in the world that he could have chosen, he chose you to parent your kids. He chose you to actually steward this, this parenting thing. And for whatever reason, he chose you to be the spiritual giants, to love them, to care for them, provide for them, and all of that. And so part of this process is what we get to do is we actually get to stay in step with them. Now, in the, story, in the account that Mark chapter 4 tells is that they do exactly what we've always been told to do, right? When the storm rises up in your life, who should you go to? Jesus is the answer, right? But why do they get reprimanded? Why does Jesus turn around and say, do you have no faith? Do they have faith? They have faith in Jesus, right? I think what he's actually reprimanding them about is like, hey, do you believe that the same power that works through me could work through you? And that's why they reprimand him. Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. The scriptures tell us that he chose to turn off his divinity while he was on this earth. And everything that we see Jesus doing is being powered by the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that you and I could do the things that Jesus does? Is it possible to actually, Jesus will take it even a step further. He says this in John, he says this, that his followers will do greater things than he did. Anyone want to sign up for that challenge? Not really. Right? We're all Christian atheists, aren't we? We believe in God, but we don't really believe God. And I think Jesus reprimands his disciples, not just in the Sea of Galilee, but even today. Do you believe that I have something planned for you? Do you believe that you could do these amazing things that you've seen the scriptures, you've seen all these people in the Bible and all this, and it's not because they're good enough, but it's because they stayed in step with the Spirit. And going back to last week, they, they got their dirt ready. They nailed their sinful natures to the cross like we did last week. I'm so proud of you guys for coming up here and nailing your sinful natures to the cross and saying, I want a completely different life. I want to create my soil as I have good soil so that when God chooses to bless me, it'll reproduce a 30, a 60, a 100 times fold. That's what really is going on here. Jesus is not reprimanding his disciples because they don't have faith in him. He's reprimanding them because they don't have faith in what God wants to do in them. And I'm not saying go out because you're perfect, you're good enough, and all that. That's heresy. What I am saying is God wants to do a work in you so that when you face a storm, you don't have to just hide. That you can do this. That God, the work that God wants to do in you will be perfectly done. So here's how Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, remember, we're not alone. Let us lay aside every, sin, every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with the endurance that race that lies before us. There's a path and a race for you. Parents, in this season, 
your main objective is to love God, love your family, and parent them well. And stay in that order. But that's the path, that's the race laid before you. Some of the most important things that you'll ever do is in who you'll raise your children to be. Not necessarily the awards and the the accomplishments and the, the reward you've gotten because of a good job, but how you actually do this. How you actually stay that course and do this. But here's what the author of Hebrews keeps going on to say. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, when he sits down at the right hand of God, there's only one other time where he stands in the scriptures. When Jesus sits at the right hand of God, he's saying everything is done. It's a symbolic act. There's one other time where he stands, and that's at the death of Stephen. That Jesus sees Stephen standing up. Does it look like everything's done? Does it look like there's some other things that Jesus could do in this life? There's still evil out, right? There's still injustice and all that. Guess who's entrusted that to us? He's asking his followers, go out and make these things right. Go drive out the darkness. How? With your lamp that of my light. Is it going to be big gestures? No, it's going to be small little gestures. It's going to be acts of kindness that make no sense. It's going to be small, seemingly insignificant ways that all of a sudden just going in, like, to invade the darkness and push back the darkness and change the culture that you live in. And I want to do, I think Jesus is saying this, I want to do a work in you, and eventually I'll do a work through you. And that's what we get to celebrate today. That's what we get to stay in step with him and all that. So that when the storms of, uh, of life rise up, we have this faith that's been solidified and perfected and have an authorship that doesn't start with you and I. It starts with Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're going to go eat some cake. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. God, I pray that you would just watch over us and that you would bless us. And Jesus, we know that you are going to do an amazing work. You already started this process in our lives. And God, thank you for the families that stood before you in this church today, saying that we want to raise our children in such a way that honors you. And God, would you allow us as a church to come alongside and to carry and to help and to love and to care for these families? God, thanks that you love us enough that you meet us where we're at, but you love us enough not to leave us there. That you want to do a work in us to drive out the darkness, to purify us, to stay in step with you. And God, would you lead us in such a way that we can feel your power in us and through us. We love you, Jesus. Genuinely pray this. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new here, I'd love to connect with your guest services. I'd also, I'll be back at the uh, green room. If you want to pray for anything, I'll meet you back there. We'll pray from there. But church, I hope you know this is true, that God loves you and I love you. And as we follow him, we'll, stay, we'll encounter the best he has to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a good week. We'll t- uh, see you next Sunday.